This morning's reading is taken from 1 Corinthians, starting at chapter 1 and beginning in verse, verse 26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is, our righteousness, holiness and redemption and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Richard. So, as Tom said, this is the final week of our six-week series on becoming a contagious Christian. And I last preached here as we were about to start it. Uh, And uh, since then, we've had five Sundays and a Saturday, most of a Saturday, that have encouraged us to engage with the issue of how we can communicate our faith in Christ, giving us ideas and examples of the tools available to us and how to put them into action. Now, I haven't been able to be here every Sunday. I've been preaching a couple of times away elsewhere. And last Sunday, Christine and I were caught in the snow. We couldn't get out the drive. Um, But we did listen online, and I hope most of you have been able to stay with the series and listen to it online as well if you haven't been able to get here uh, physically. And as we start, I want to... uh, emphasize that this, just, this hasn't just been a six-week series project sort of thing that we can finish off and then forget all about, put it behind us and just move on to something new. The series has been designed carefully to equip, inspire and embolden us as a part of fulfilling our 2020 vision. So after I've pulled things together and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hand over back to Tom who's going to add some thoughts and then uh, particularly on where we go from here in in, in the context of that vision. So as we begin this last uh, session, let's just have a word of prayer together. Father, thank you for all that's gone on over these last few weeks. Thank you for those who've preached, those who've played of music, and for those who've come and taught us in different ways for the Sundays and the Saturday that we've had. And Lord, as we begin to pull this together, we pray that uh, your Spirit would be here. Dear Holy Spirit, please come. Fill this place with your presence, we pray and embolden us to go from this place today determined to put into action what it is we've been hearing over these last few weeks as we move on 
to fulfilling our vision and your vision for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as I pondered and prayed about today, thinking how was I going to add anything fresh and new to this series, two thoughts came to my mind. The first actually was as a result of, of speaking at Rowledge at Russ's church on the, power, uh, sorry, on the parable of the sower a couple of weeks ago. And the second was as a result of speaking at a floating church in London, uh, known as St. Peter's Barge. And I was there earlier this week, I'll come back to that. I'm going to start with the parable, because I think it's a great example of what this series has been all about. We know from the Gospels that Jesus walked miles to get alongside people. He told them stories about donkeys and sowing seeds and vineyards, and from them they learnt about love and neighbourliness of evangelism and of the kingdom of God. And he always told the truth. He didn't falsely protect people. In the parable of the sower, which many of you will know well, he talks about the sower as the presenter of the message, which in today's terms, as part of this series, means you and me. And then he talks about the people, the ground, which uh, the, those who will hear the message and respond to it in their various different ways. Our families, our friends, our work colleagues. And he talks about the seed that is being sown. The word of God. The seed is truth. God's truth. If you stand by my teaching, Jesus says, as the word, the logos, as the very meaning of meaning, then you are truly my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That truth, of course, culminates in the Easter story. Next weekend, uh, that we're going to be going through as a church. Jesus Christ crucified for the sins of a broken world on Good Friday, but rising from the dead in order to restore us back into a relationship with our Creator God on Easter Sunday. It is, says Paul in his letter to the church in Corinth, a message of foolishness to many. And as presenters of this message, we will inevitably face opposition and certainly see a lot of the seed apparently going to waste. In the parable, Jesus talks about people with closed minds, whose lack of understanding, prejudice and way of life allows Satan to snatch the word away before it has a chance to take root. He likens them to hard, trodden down pathways. And just like the Jewish leadership of his day, the hardness of hearts of many today won't allow the seed to penetrate. Some of the seed, he says, falls amongst rocks, which he likens to fair-weather followers who hear the word and begin to grow. But the, although they're excited at first, when they see the true cost of discipleship, it proves too high, and the growth doesn't last, and they fall away. Just like those, perhaps, who welcomed Jesus so enthusiastically into Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday, and then turned against him. Then there's a seed that falls amongst the thorns, falling on those who have the potential to be promising disciples. But they get enticed by the world <coughs> and allow Christ to be crowded out. The worries of this present age, the deceit of riches, the desires of all kinds of stuff, chokes out the word, crowds it out. Many in Jesus' time and many today fall all too easily into this category. But then there's the seed which falls on good soil, falls on those who are open to the word, 
have the desire and the capacity to nurture it in their hearts. And by persevering, they produce a crop 30, 60, or 100 times what was sown. In simple terms, what this last six weeks has been all about is simply to say that as parents, grandparents, friends, neighbours, at work, or in any of our other day-to-day activities, our job is to engage and sow more seeds. Even though, according to the parable, 75% of the seeds that we scatter will probably be wasted, or at least appear to be wasted, the reality, of course, is that we just don't know how the seed will be received. It's certainly true that we may not see quick results. Some of the seed will inevitably fall on the pathways. Some will grow for a while but then die on the rocks or be strangled by the thorns. And we will almost certainly get grief from those who are opposed to our message, just as Jesus did. But we need to remember that even the apparently hostile are often desperate for hope. And ultimately, we are promised that there will be a rich harvest in the end, some of which will emerge from those who initially appear to us, at least, to be stony ground or caught up in the thorns. Now, this all said, being a contagious Christian isn't easy, particularly when the truth is that for many of us, there are times when we can feel stuck amongst the rocks or strangled by the thorns ourselves, when the stark realities of life both hit us and those around us. Work, relationships, suffering, illness, ultimately death, can all confuse us, hamper us, or undermine our faith. Living out Christ's truth isn't easy, and it certainly takes courage to speak it out into an increasingly intimidating world. And the danger, therefore, is that we decide to just retreat, pull up the drawbridge, Perhaps sow a few seeds, but do so very carefully, only with people we feel we can trust or we're particularly close to. It's all too easy to surrender to the idea that the seed, the word, is probably true because it seems to work for some people for some of the time, or because it's sometimes true in our own experiences, but not always, or because we sincerely believe it's true for us, but it isn't necessarily true for everyone. And therefore, we shouldn't push it too hard. So we might conclude, why risk being thought foolish? Why bother with those who live on the paths, in the rocks, amongst the thorns? Wouldn't it be better to concentrate on holding on to our own faith as best as we can, however thinly or meanly, deeply or gloriously we're experiencing it, and perhaps just reach out occasionally to those we think are most likely to believe? Keep our heads down. Let others do the scattering. Well, that's simply not good enough. Jesus' words declare the universal requirement for being set free and living free. And they apply to everybody. Young and old, poor and rich, powerless or powerful, all races, all classes, all generation. Everyone needs to hear the truth. What they do with it is then their business, not ours. Our job is to ensure that they have the opportunity to hear it. Because as I've said many times, here and elsewhere, this truth is true, even if we think nobody else is believing it. 
just as falsehoods and lies, falsehoods and lies are falsehoods and lies, even if everybody seems to be believing them. God's truth doesn't yield to fashion, opinion, office, rank, title, the views of the powerful, or even the sincerity of great minds. It's true everywhere, for everyone under all conditions. And everyone has the right to hear it. So despite all of our uncertainties, we must stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around our waist and engage, join the fight. Because silence is the enemy of truth. It was Solzhenitsyn who said that one word of truth outweighs the entire world. And a shout in the mountains, he said, has been known to start an avalanche. As Christians, we're called upon to stand firm, shout out truth, and in doing so, start avalanches. In a world of lies, spin, and hype, we need truth now more than ever before. There's a guy called Stormzy, a well-known rapper. Who's heard of Stormzy? Well done. I did think about getting John to do the rapping for us this morning, but I think we'll see Stormzy do it himself. He certainly doesn't fit the stereotype of somebody who shares the gospel. But just watch this. Let's turn the uh, DVD on. Uh, this time we're going for it. I'm blinded by your grace. I'm blinded by your grace, by your grace. I'm blinded by your grace. I'm blinded by your Lord, I've been broken. Although I'm not worthy, you fix me. I'm blinded by your grace. Came and saved me, Lord, I've been broken, although I'm not worthy, you fix me, now I'm blinded by your flesh, you came and saved me. One time for the Lord, one time for the cause, and one round of applause, one time for praise, a deep lift from the courts. Prayed up, then I get the job done. Yeah, I'm Abigail's youth, but I'm God's son. But I'm up now, look at what God's done. Not real tall, look at what God did. On the main stage, running around topless. I phone flips, and I tell him that we got this. This is God's plan, they can never stop this. Like, wait right there, could you stop my verse? You saved this kid, and I'm not your first. It's not by blood, it's not by birth. But oh my God, what a God I serve.
blinded by your grace. You came and saved me, Lord, I've been broken, although I'm not worthy, you fix me. Now I'm blinded by your grace, you came and saved me, Lord, How many seeds were sown? Did you find that inspiring? What crop did he go on to produce? He's a great example of somebody just being himself, operating where he is, using God's given skills to bring people to Christ. I said earlier, I was speaking at a church in London called St. Peter's Barge this week. It's literally a church in a barge in the middle of Canary Wharf, where in the exact opposite, really, of what we've just been watching. I don't know about you, but I found myself thinking of Grenville when I watched that, that clip. Many of the big international financial companies have their UK base in Canary Wharf. I did two sessions where Christians who work in the various companies simply brought a non-Christian friend along with them to listen to a talk over a sandwich. It wasn't huge, 30 or so people at each talk. But at the end of each of them, there was an opportunity to ask each other questions, chat about the message, the word, the seed of truth that had been sown. I haven't got a clue whether the seed fell on pathways or stony ground or amongst the thorns. But the seed was sown. And it was sown because people who cared about their friends were prepared to put their heads above the parapet and invite them along, accepting that to get the yeses, there will inevitably be some noes, maybe quite a lot. And they did it in the culture that they lived and operated in. Just like the people living in the blocks of flats that we saw in that clip, City slickers in business suits at the heart of the economy, dealing in billions every day, need to hear the word of God. And so does everybody else. In April 2016, I found myself surprised to receive a letter from a guy called Danny, Danny Crossman. It arrived out of the blue, and amongst other things it said this. I served under you as a brand new second lieutenant back in 1994, and I wanted to write to thank you for several things you did in passing. This letter is uh, 22 years later. As a young troop commander, I recall you leading a Sunday service outside the local church near Abingdon, wearing your ubiquitous parker, which is a sort of overcoat, and leading the regiment in worship, though few would have called themselves Christians, myself included. I left the army in 2000 and moved to Canada, where my wife and three children live, in 2002, I gave my life to Christ. And after several people had made small but positive impacts in my life through my military service, one of those people was you. And whilst it may not have been apparent to you at the time, it added to the influences that God was bringing into my life. I've since completed a Master's in Theology at Tyndale Seminary here in Canada. I'm toying with the idea of rejoining as a chaplain or even as a pastor, although God seems to have different plans for me at the moment. I hope this will be an encouragement to you. As the scripture tells us, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion 
which I feel you have contributed to. Secondly, a young lady called Helen, who'd been a young officer when I was commanding in Germany, emailed me years later, out of the blue, about three or four years ago. She said that she'd been going through a tough time as her marriage had broken up after her husband walked out on her, leaving her with an eight-year-old and a four-year-old and a ten-month-old baby up in Stornoway. She went on to say that she wanted me to know that my witness early in her career as a Christian leader had been central in developing her own Christian faith, that amongst other things that had pulled her through the breakup in her marriage. Helen has now been ordained into the Salvation Army and she's serving as the commanding officer of the Citadel in Aberdeen. I had become a Christian because somebody invited us to go to the Garden Tomb in Jerusalem in 1981 on Easter Sunday, which happened to be my 30th birthday. Some of you heard the story before. Somebody invited me. That's all it took. To be honest, I can't remember what I said to those two young people. In one sense, I'm pretty sure that it wasn't anything special. In the passage that Richard read to us, Paul says that he didn't come with elegance or superior wisdom. He simply proclaimed the testimony about God. He came in weakness and fear. And I suspect that many of us feel in that place too. And with much trembling. Not with wise and persuasive words. But he came resolved to know, to know nothing whilst he was with them except Jesus Christ and him crucified. All I did was to present Jesus Christ to two young officers. And that's all we are called to do. If we can stop thinking that we need to turn ourselves into super-Christians in order to touch others with the gospel and start realising that we can do so by just being who we are, living out our faith as best we can in the circumstances that we find ourselves in day by day. If we can understand and know that we are God's beloved children and he loves us, then the whole challenge of being a contagious Christian just becomes a joy of expression of who we are in Christ rather than a striving to be something that we're not. So what can we learn from all of this? All around us are people who need Jesus Christ and we are the best introduction most are likely to get. We're the best, perhaps the only witnesses of Christ they will come across. Remembering that there is joy in heaven when just one sinner repents. Our job is to keep sowing seeds. And if we can get out there and do just that, then this last six weeks will not have been a waste of time. Amen. Okay, I'd like to invite the band to come up. They're going to lead us in a, a song of response as we reflect on that good news that we have to share. The wonder of it. The joy of it. The truth of it. But why don't we just take a moment, just as they do that, just to prayerfully just identify one thing that you feel God's really said to you through what Tim shared and the other things that we've heard today.